Hi everybody, this is Chris Campbell with the Food Institute and welcome back to another edition of the Food Institute podcast. This week we welcome Courtney Boyd Myers, who is a founder, CEO, and CMO of Akua, which is a company that creates kelp-based food products ranging from burgers to jerky to pasta. But before we get started, I do want to take a moment to thank our valued listeners for tuning in every week to listen to the show. We really are finding that word-of-mouth referrals are a huge tool in getting the word out about this show. So if you have any friends, uh, family members, or colleagues that could benefit from or even just enjoy listening to the show, we really appreciate it if you'd share us uh, on your social media networks and also just via email or even in person with your friends and family. So once again, thank you, and we really appreciate the support. I'd also like to take a minute to ask our listeners to subscribe if they haven't already and to follow us on our social media channels. If you're looking to subscribe to the podcast, we're available on the Food Institute website, obviously, but also in Spotify, Apple iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. And it's really hard to say how much it helps when you actually subscribe there. I think a lot of people are unaware of how much of a help it actually is, so we really appreciate it if you could do so. So with that all out of the way, I'd like to set the stage for Courtney to join us. And I think the best place to start today, Courtney, would just be an overview of your professional background and what brought you to the kelp-based space in the first place. So you think you could share? Yeah, it's so multi-layered. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share our journey at Akua. Uh, I was turning the corner on 30 and working in the tech and startup industry as like a plug-in CMO for early stage companies. And I just had this like, you know, pretty doomsday premonition of like one day, if I was lucky enough to have a granddaughter, she would ask me, you know, Grammy, what were you doing when the world was burning? And I think, you know, every summer now, it's just so normal that we have these California wildfires. And, you know, in New York City last week, we had the air quality index ratings going crazy. And, you know, how is this pollution <laughs> coming all the way from the West Coast? And got our poor friends over on the West Coast. And this is just the new normal. And, you know, the environmental news over the past couple of weeks has just been heartbreaking. And so I wanted to have a good answer for her. And I just, you know, knew it wasn't going to be that I was helping to scale dating apps. And I went right into thinking through the most important key solutions to climate change, which are so many. And um, my you know, kind of background and my upbringing, uh, my dad is like this award-winning big food marketer. He like invented the Burger King Kids Club and was VP of marketing for Pepsi for 10 years. And so I saw firsthand what eating can do to someone's health. And I've watched him have heart attacks and diabetes and cancer. And I just saw this really obvious connection of environmental like health destruction and human health destruction as a result of our modern day food systems. And I thought, I've got to find a solution. So I think that will lead us into, you know, how you decided to create a coup in the first place. And I think, you know, maybe the real question is we got to take a look at that main ingredient, which is kelp. So why would you turn to kelp? You know, there's a lot of different plant-based marketed products right now, but kelp to me is one that's a little bit different, right? I haven't really heard too much about this space. So I think we could start there. Why did you decide to go with kelp? Yeah. So, you know, I think as we look at sources of food and how it's grown, two of the most taxed resources are freshwater use and land use. Um, even these great products like Impossible Burger are, you know, reliant on soy, which we're, you know, chopping down Amazon rainforest to grow soy these days because it's, it's such a used crop. And a friend of mine, I was just really lucky. He said, you know, you should come out and check out 
this regenerative kelp farm. And I thought, what does regenerative mean? And he was like, well, regenerative agriculture is when you're leaving the planet better than you found it, not just sustaining it. And I thought, wow, I've, I've always loved seaweed. I was, you know, I was telling Brian, I've always been that weird white girl trying to find cool things made out of seaweed to eat. And, you know, he's grown up, Brian is Korean, I think, and he's grown up eating, you know, seaweed in all of his meals with his family. And I just, I've always been so jealous of all my Asian friends because I love seaweed and I never had it growing up. And so when I learned about the cool, you know, environmental stories around growing kelp, I then already knew all the amazing vitamins and minerals you can get from this sea plant. So I just thought, wow, this is what a what a new and unique uh, product and what a cool opportunity to bring it to market and build a totally new food category. And I think that's a great point uh, to your to your point there. You know, I had talked to Brian before we recorded this session and, you know, he was explaining to me that it's actually eaten around the world, but U.S. consumers really are not too familiar with it overall. So, you know, was that intimidating when you decided to go with kelp? Did you think you were going to have an uphill battle marketing it? Or is this something that you thought, you know, the story, like you just said to, uh, you know, you explained to us, is that something that you thought would really propel the brand? So I guess really, you know, did you have any reservations with it, at least on the marketing side? Do you think it was going to be an uphill battle? Not until we started. (laughs) (laughs) I think as we, you know, went running into this, I I think I'm one of those founders um, and entrepreneurs who likes to create brand new things that never existed before. I think there's many founders out there who are really just executors. They look at something that's working really well and they know that they can like do it better operationally or a better brand or something like that. And I just, I don't know, those kind of founders like drive me nuts because like you're, you know, it's like for me, founding something is, is by being innovative and bringing something into the world that didn't exist before. So I was so excited by that opportunity and felt really called to it that um, I didn't think about how hard it would be until we got started. (laughs) And I think probably one of the things that leads to some of that competition, some of that difficulty too, is that this is, I don't want to say it's a new product type, but it is something a little bit different. And, you know, over the last five to 10 years, we've seen the success of Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and, you know, to your point, those soybean plant-based burgers. So I was wondering, you know, when you look at your product, do you see yourself as a, a challenger to those products, to traditional meat processing companies, both, you know, where do you place yourself in the landscape when it comes to, you know, the burger market? Yeah. So I really think, more than placing us in what exists before, I place us in what's happening now and what will continue to happen, which is changing consumer mindsets around how they eat and incorporating more plant-based food into their diet. So we are not a product that is just targeting meat eaters. We are not a product that is just targeting vegans. We are a product that is targeting the increasing number of people who are saying, I'm trying to eat more plant-based. And they're looking for new plant-based foods to incorporate into their diet. And things like seaweeds and mushrooms are going to play such a big, important role in the plant-based food movement. Because if we just give vegan, you know, people who are trying to eat more plants, soy and beans, they're going to get bored and they're going to go back to eating animals. And so I'm trying to give them like really diverse offerings so that, you know, six days out of the week, they don't miss the meat. And maybe they want it with their families that other one out of the seven days of the week. And I'm not going to judge them. You know, we're here to expand what can be put on your plate and educate on the importance of choosing foods on your plate that are healthy for you and healthy for the planet, too. And can we talk a little bit about how the product is made? You don't need to give away the entire recipe, but just a little bit for our audience, you know, that might be interested in, you know, how this product's actually formulated. You know, is it 100 percent kelp? Or is it a mixture? How is that product put together? 
Yeah, so it is um, mixed with mushrooms, extra virgin olive oil, nutritional yeast, fresh tomatoes, all sorts of really great spices, and everything is fresh and mixed together and then frozen. So a lot of veggie burgers on the market today are pre-cooked or fried. And this is this is a totally fresh product. So shelf life wise, it has to live in the freezer and then you you, you cook it. Um, we are looking at like flash pasteurization and ways to get into that refrigerator section and extend our shelf life. But, you know, I like to tell people, think about this product like you would with fresh mushrooms in your fridge. After like three or four days, you don't, those mushrooms are getting a little slimy and kelp is even you know, has an even shorter shelf life than that. Like imagine going to the beach and kelp that was just washed up the day before is already stinky and smelly. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a fresh product. <laughs> well, I think that works. You know, a lot of people really are looking for some kind of fresh product, especially, you know, if it's going to be replacing meat in their diets, this is another thing that's not going to be sitting in their fridge for a week at a time. So I think consumers are probably ready for that kind of product where they're able to, you know, take it and eat it fresh within a couple of days. And I think another product you have right now that's also really interesting is kelp jerky. I saw this on your website. And, you know, like I said earlier, plant-based burgers really have been all the rage for the last couple of years. But I think that this might be an opportunity for real disruption in the market. Because when you look around beyond, uh, you know, a couple of different flavors of basically beef or turkey jerky, you don't really see too many products like this. So could you tell us a little bit about that product and really what spurred you to take a look at the category? Yeah, of course. So when we first started out doing product development on kelp, we had come up with the recipes for burgers and sausages. And the recipes are different today than what they were three or four years ago. But the idea was always to build this whole meat alternative platform and become this household brand name for meat alternative products made from kelp. And uh, but I, like I mentioned, just came from marketing and tech companies. And so I knew how to build online worlds, but I didn't know how to get into retail. In fact, it was daunting. And I know with Frozen, it's so important to be in retail. Now we have an amazing sales team. But we started out with jerky because I knew how to sell things online and I knew I could figure out Amazon. And so that's where we got started. Um, also, Crave Jerky had sold to Hershey's for like $300 million. So I was like, wow, jerky's huge. And there was really no other high protein jerky on the market that was vegan and wasn't soy based. And so I thought, you know, we were actually the very first jerky to use pea as our, our main source of protein. So um, yeah, just saw a really fun opportunity there, went after it, created a really healthy product that not everybody loves. <laughs> and uh, and that was really, you know, what spurred us to, to pivot towards the burger. You know, we're still selling jerky. It's got its hardcore audience, but it's not that mainstream product that's going to sell at Walmart one day. Um, and we really want everyone eating kelp. And so that's where the burger comes in. And another product you guys have on your website too is kelp pasta. And, you know, I've seen the rise of bean-based pastas and vegetable-based pasta. So I was hoping you could give us a little bit idea of, you know, how you iterated this product and also, you know, why you chose to go after the pasta market as well, considering you're kind of in the, uh, you know, replacement meat sector and the other two products. Yeah, so that kelp pasta is literally just kelp that has been thrown through a calamari cutter into noodle shapes. And how it came to be, I'm a real people pleaser. So we just had hundreds of customers asking us, well, you know, when we had the jerky, they said, look, I, I, the jerky's fine, but I just want kelp. I know you have access to it. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just threw it through a calamari cutter and dried it and put it in a bag. There's no like 
you know, wheat or durum or, or, or bean or, or, or chickpea that's attached to it. It's, it's super simple. So we're actually relaunching that product in the fall um, called kelp noodles because we cannot keep it in stock. We have a really small production for it. It sells out within seconds. It's on back order constantly. It's really, really good, but it's so simple. And so we will make small batches of that product, um, bigger batches of that product than we are now starting in the fall. And we'll only sell them through our website and food service. So food service now is becoming a little bit of a part of our business with the burgers and and the chefs want the pasta, which we're going to call kelp noodles soon. So very cool. I think, you know, we touched upon this a little bit already. We were talking about the environmental reasons people might choose your product and also how it motivated you to actually design these products in the first place. Uh, but I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about your suppliers and just regenerative ocean farming in general. You know, how difficult was it to find a steady supplier for kelp if you're building these products out? You know, what kind of relationship do you have with the, uh, the I guess, I'm not sure a farmer is the correct term for it if you're working in the ocean like that. But, you know, for the producers of this kelp, you know, what kind of situation is it to connect with these types of producers and really build a supply chain there? Yeah, so we've been really lucky since we're, for better or worse, kind of on the I wouldn't say ground floor, I'd say more like first floor of the kelp farming industry. There's definitely some grizzly uh, fishermen who've been doing this for a decade before, you know, I was even in the career world. And, you know, but we have been for, you know, better or worse, really a part of building out some of these supply chains and these processing companies and, you know, working with really early stage companies and early, early stage farmers on all this. Um, so we've built amazing relationships as a result. And we work with two processing companies that source from over 40 farms right now um, for kelp. You know, we could easily just work with one farmer um, who would maybe sell us 40,000 pounds of kelp, but we prefer to, you know, diversify as much as we can, I think, to just protect the business and, and strengthen our supply chains. Right now, all of the kelp we're sourcing is from Connecticut to Maine, basically Connecticut and Maine. Uh, we will be expanding into Alaska in the coming years, which is, it's really exciting what they're, what they're doing over there. And I guess that puts you in a good position, too, to just kind of see the growth of it over the last couple of years. And I guess from your vantage point, do you think kelp really has the ability to become like a widely accepted alt-meat ingredient in the U.S.? Do you think it'll remain niche? You know, I mean, I imagine that you think it has that power since you founded a company based on it. But I guess the question really is, how far can this expand? Do you think that it has the ability to fully supplant that? Or do you think it'll just kind of be like now we have poultry, seafood, red meat, you know, be part of the repertoire of, uh, you know, plant-based cooks? in the home kitchen. I think that kelp is going to follow an extremely similar trajectory to mushrooms. So I think you see mushrooms in jerky and sausages and a lot in burgers and now steak and chicken. And of course you also see mushrooms in, in salads and, and eaten on their own. And it really just spans an entire culinary universe. And so I don't think kelp is going to be pigeonholed into meat alt. I think kelp is going to like you see seaweed salads and kimchi and chips and it's, it's a, it can be, in, and then beyond food, it's like beauty and fertilizer and it's skincare. It's amazing and nutrition. And so our, you know, usage of it is unique, but I think the category around kelp will expand uh, dramatically. And I think you're already starting to, well, I'm hearing whispers of a lot of meat alternative companies starting to think about putting seaweeds, even red seaweeds, not just kelp into, into their products. So what kind of timeline would you expect on that then? Is this something that's happening right now? Is this something that's going to take 10 to 15 years? You know, what kind of timeline are you seeing for the industry to catch up? I mean, even just scaling up the farm so that they can make this kind of production, what kind of timeline do you expect for, you know, the adoption of this product? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, we will start to see supply chain uh, on kelp, like we'll start to see demand get a little hot and, and supply will be an issue. I think that we're right now we have so much, so much supply and not a lot of demand. So it's, it's something that, you know, isn't on our day-to-day thoughts, but of course, as a CEO, I'm thinking really long-term and, and knowing that going beyond Maine is really important. Going into Alaska is really important. Going into Canada is really important. Having relationships with Norway, the Falkland Islands, and all these amazing kelp suppliers that are not in Asia, where 98% of the seaweed is from today. And so, and we were very specifically talking about cultivation of of seaweeds, not wild harvested. Um, And so I think like if you do have those global partnerships, like, you know, we'll be able to scale. When we look at doing $40 million a year in revenue, we're pulling between one and three million pounds of kelp out of the ocean. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of impact and it's amazing, but it's, it's not exactly like, you know, putting a dent in the global supply chain. There's a lot of room for, for players. Um, To your question on, on like the trend of, of kelp and, and, and how long I think it'll take to expand. So I worked with Four Sigmatic, which is a really cool superfood mushroom company for a year before starting Akua. And this was, you know, they started, I think I want to say 2012 and I'd say by like 2017, like, and you know, they were really big. And now in 2021, there's like whole e-commerce stores dedicated to mushroom products. It's like, they're everywhere. So that's, you know, that's looking like almost a 10 year time horizon from being these like very weird guys from Finland telling people to drink mushrooms in their coffee to, to really being everywhere. And it's a global effort with chefs and brands. Um, so I think kelp, you know, if, if let's say like we really started working on this, you know, in, in 2016, I'd say by 2026, kelp's going to be like just everywhere the way mushrooms is are, are today. And I guess, you know, for that to be achieved, one of the things that will have to happen is just kind of jumping over a hurdle when it comes to consumer adoption. So I'm wondering from your vantage point, what are the major, you know, hurdles to that? What kind of, um, you know, headwinds are you facing when it comes to trying to convince a, a consumer to try the product for their first time? Yeah. So I think there's two elements to that. One is just being a vegan burger. There's going to be a lot of people who are like, it's not a burger unless it bleeds. It's not a burger unless it's a cow or, or whatever. And if people are going to have that kind of thought process, like we're just not going to be the ones fighting with them on Facebook comments. Um, but then the, you know, I think the much larger thing to consider is um, coastal communities versus inland communities in the United States. So we look at like our demographics and it's it's as to be expected it's like if you grew up anywhere near the ocean the idea of eating kelp sounds really interesting at the very least and very exciting and sought after at the best but if you grew up somewhere very far away from seafood and actually seafood was not a part of your diet growing up the idea of kelp is much more foreign so i think that's something that we're definitely very considered about and as we expand like our retail strategy like i look at um you know, our business in the U.S. being, you know, not national penetration, you know, like we may never do really well in some landlocked states that just don't understand the difference between kelp and seaweed. And so when I look at our global expansion plan, like we're really excited about Asia after we've sort of penetrated as much of the market as we think we can in the States, because I think Asia is prime for us and they've never had a kelp burger. And I know that Asia is really the, you know, block of countries that already eating, you know, seaweed, as we said earlier. So I think that would really be an exciting prospect for your company being able to sell into that market, especially something as novel as a kelp burger. And as far as, you know, expanding goes, I 
as far as I understand, I know your company is going through a financing round. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and maybe we'd start off with just asking by how much you were looking to raise and, you know, where you were looking to allocate that funding. Yeah. So we've basically been um, really excited. We're closing out our, our $3 million financing round, hopefully next week, maybe the week after, um, you know, from a this year perspective, we closed an equity crowdfund in April, which was awesome. 2,200 investors. We raised the million dollar cap. And so, yeah, now we're raising our, our first priced round. Um, and this round is really more than anything enabled us to just invest in team, you know, like bringing in some of the smartest people from digital marketing, the smartest people in retail sales, the smartest people in ops, food science. And, and, and yeah, just as, as my role has changed now from being like a co-founder of, of, you know, a three person company to now really being a CEO that's managing, you know, kind of over 20 to 30 people who are all, you know, pitching in to build a Kua. And I guess, you know, like I said earlier, your vantage point is pretty unique since you are a CEO in this, you know, emerging product category. So I'm just wondering, since you founded, have you seen any kind of changes in the investment landscape for a product like yours? Do you see a lot more availability to capital because of changing consumer demand? Or are you still finding that to be an uphill battle as well? So I think that, yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's easier to raise money for plant-based, any kind of plant-based food products than it ever has been before. Um, I think it's much easier for us today to raise money for a burger and future products like vegan crab cakes and sausages than it ever was for jerky. Um, very few people really believe in the snack category, which is crazy because when Mars flew us out for a meeting, they really believe in the snack category and really wanted us to stay with kelp jerky so that we could maybe be a potential acquisition someday. And when we told them we were moving to center of plate, it, you know, all of a sudden wasn't as good of a match, but I think center of plate is, is just a much more important place for us to be this product. And all of our products are really meant to be not just nourishing and, you know, saving the planet, but conversation starters, right? Like, why are we eating this? Why does it matter? And doing that over a meal or a fire is, is just, yeah, much more conducive and bringing people together for dinner parties this, you know, the summer has just been amazing, you know, post pandemic. Well, I don't know if we say post pandemic yet, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you know, one of the things we were really tracking at the food Institute was, you know, this great reopening, which seems to be stalling out a little bit as we're recording this towards the end of July, you know, things have changed a little bit, but yeah, I would agree, you know, it's an opportunity. And obviously I think those big meals are the opportunity to really share a product type with other people, you know, snacks, I think typically kind of a solitary eating occasion for the most part, but, you know, eating dinner or even lunch usually is a communal thing. So definitely a great opportunity to share uh, your product. And I think, you know, as we're getting towards the end of this conversation, I just kind of want to know what's next for the company. I know you said that you are launching or relaunching the, uh, pasta products. So anything else on the radar that our listeners should know about? You know, we are launching into retail at the end of August in New York City and in September in LA. And so just look out for us in stores. We're going to have a really robust store locator at akua.co. And yeah, very excited. Just all the support we can get in uh, you know our retail sales will take all right, excellent. And I think you just said it there, but our listeners, they should go to akua.co to learn more about your team and any social media channels you'd like to plug. Uh, we are at Life Akua on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So definitely connect with us. And if you really want to geek out about kelp, we have a kelp club on Facebook. 
Courtney, I really want to thank you again for your time today. It was really interesting learning about the kelp market. And I think that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Food Institute podcast. So remember, if you're new to the podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute and what we can do for your company via sponsorship, advertising, and membership opportunities, please take a look at foodinstitute.com. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm-hmm.